26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 27 to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel was went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these at his words wondered what kind of greeting this might be but the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary you have found favor with God you will conceive and give birth to a son you are to call him Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be true? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her.
Let's stand together and continue in worship. joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Hark the angels sing. 
God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Hail the heaven Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come now. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. Everlasting Lord, late in time, behold, he comes, offspring of a virgin's womb. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give the second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. The newborn King, King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come now. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up, who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name, King of heaven, come. King of heaven, come. King
your glory reign, shining like the day, King of heaven, come. You can go ahead and be seated for a moment. You guys need to pray for the people who have to work with me on a regular basis. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. We're so happy you're here. Uh, just a quick few announcements for you. Uh, membership. If you are interested in membership, please let us know. We're, we're looking at putting together the next round of that. Uh, we have a couple people interested. It might look a little bit differently than it has in the past, but if that's something that interests you, please reach out. Also, if you are interested in baptism, please let us know. Where's, where's Bryn? Yeah, Bryn. Bryn's excited. Um, guys, if, if the adults in the American church could ha capture half of the enthusiasm a child has for baptism, we would be radically different. And so, please, try and remember that excitement that you had for baptism. But Bryn is so excited for baptism. We want to make sure if anyone else here wants to get baptized, let us know as we plan that service. Um, we're, we're looking to do that hopefully soon. So, Reach out to us ASAP if that's something that is interesting to you or, or you haven't yet followed Christ in doing. And then the one that um, I want to spend a little bit of time on and just briefly explain, we, throughout this year, we as your leadership have done our best to be as transparent, as responsible, and as possible. We are going to go ahead with having the adult Christmas party on the 13th. Uh, it's going to be at 7 o'clock. We are going to proceed with this, and we want to we want to share our thoughts a little bit. They're similar to the thoughts as to why we're having Sunday morning service as well. We are fully aware, and for everybody who's online, thank you for joining us as well. We want you to hear this as well. Um, we don't, there's no, we absolutely respect if you've chosen to stay online or stay home this morning or if you have to for medical reasons. Please hear, hear our heart in this. Um, we will never eliminate risk in our lives. The moment I stepped out of bed, I risked tripping and breaking my neck. The moment I got in my car, I risked getting in a car crash. But we believe it is our responsibility and our duty to mitigate risk and to try and reduce risk where possible. And so what we as leadership, the burden on our heart this year has been to look at where can we safely and responsibly and maturely and appropriately reduce risk? What are the steps we can take to try and reduce risk? But what are the things that we believe in strongly enough that we accept the risk? We believe in corporate gathering on Sunday morning for worship, so we as leadership have chosen to accept the risk of remaining open on Sunday mornings. We believe in this adult Christmas party on the 13th. It may seem fun, but we believe in the blessing and the reward of fellowship and of time together, and so we have accepted the risk of proceeding with it. We are taking some steps to, again, try and reduce that risk. So if you've already signed up and you said, hey, I'm going to bring this food dish or that food dish, please, we're not bringing individual food dishes. We will still provide some desserts. We will still provide some savory options, but we're not going to bring them from our individual homes. We're not going to have communal serving platters or anything like that. So if you've signed up and you've said, I'm going to bring a food dish or a dessert dish, you don't need to worry about that now. Uh, if you haven't yet signed up, today is your last day to sign up. When you do so, just ignore the column that says, what food will I bring? 
The only thing you need to bring, uh, and this is, again, this is something that we can reduce. You know, it's what we've done with the self-serve coffee on Sunday morning. So we've reduced physical contact and hand-to-hand exchanges. If you plan on coming next week, sign up today. Or if you've already signed up and you want to bring coffee or tea or water, bring your own beverage. Uh, We will be providing the food. We've got the seats spaced out so that we can still have an event we believe in the rewards of and the benefits of and the importance of. But we can do everything we can to have it as safely and responsibly as possible, understanding that this is uh, certainly a unique year for so many people. Um, But those are really the announcements, baptism, membership, and we are going to have the adult sweet and savory party on the 13th. If you haven't signed up, go ahead and do so today if you're able to attend, but we need to know a head count by the end of, uh, you know, when we all leave here this afternoon. Um, If you'll just join me in prayer quickly, and then uh, we'll resume worship. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God of online services in the same way you are the God of in-person services. And we thank you that it says where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are. So for the families at home watching together, We thank you that you are there and you are with them. And for the people who may be alone watching but are present with us in the spirit, we thank you that you are with them and with us. You are not constrained by walls. You are not constrained by distance. And we praise you for that and we thank you for that. We give you the glory in all things. And we ask that you would be leading us in all of these decisions. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Side. 
sing this out. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God evermore. Good news, great joy for all. Melody breaks through the silence. Christ to save. Thank you. Sorry, I'm a little slow getting uh, organized up here. It's good to be back. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed Cassie and I were gone, uh, but we are quarantined uh, because of coronavirus. Uh, thankfully, none of our immediate family were sick. I do have several um, family members that are, are sick that, uh, truthfully, it's uh, near impossible for us to not interact with um, because of child care and things like that, um, but thankfully God has taken care of uh, Cassie and I and the kids. Uh, we've done well, and uh, so far none of my family members have really gotten too sick, M mainly the uh, loss of taste and smell. Um, they complained of headaches, uh, but thankfully nothing too bad. Uh, but unfortunately they could not be here this morning. They usually at least come to hear me preach. Uh, I think it's the only time they feel it's okay to miss their church service. Um, I've got a lot to say. Um, we are going back into the life of Christ, and uh, I don't know if you remember, but a couple weeks ago it was Jesus feeding the 5,000, and uh, this week we're, we're talking about Jesus walking on water, and most of you know that story, and most of you uh, were familiar with that from probably children's church or Sunday school or something. You heard about Jesus walking on the water. It's so popular that... There's, uh, you know, sayings like, you know, if somebody's so good or so perfect, they would walk on water. And we get that from uh, the Bible, obviously, with Jesus walking on the water. Um, so we're going to move into that. There's three different places you can find this. Uh, it should be on the slide. If you want to write them down in your notes, if you take notes, um, it's Matthew 14, uh, 22. 
is where it starts. Then Mark 6, 45 to 56, and John 6, 16 to 24. I don't usually bring a drink up here, so um, forgive me, but I remember last time I preached, like two minutes into preaching, I couldn't, I could barely talk, it felt like. Uh, so I, I'm going to keep something here so that way I don't run into that issue again. But these three uh, different, it's the same event, but different accounts, um, they, as with lots of things in the Gospels, they have small differences that are, are unique to each um, writer's perspective on that event. And we'll get into some details, but uh, I want to tell you that as far as this sermon is concerned, and, and I, I believe that possibly even... Uh, for the, all of the, the Gospels together, the point is not on Peter walking on water, um, although that does happen. Uh, before we get in uh, to reading some scripture, uh, if you would pray with me, and uh, we'll get right in. And uh, we're going to actually start in John 6, so if you want to make your way there, you can do that now. But if you would pray with me. God, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for uh, the pr- protection you've provided uh, for us. God, I, I, I'm well aware that we are in a time that it seems more risky uh, to do things for our own health. But I, I thank you that ultimately, God, you, you've provided healing, whether here or, or on, in heaven, and I thank you for that. I thank you for Jesus. And I think that as we read this story, we read more about the personality and mission of Jesus while I was here. So I pray that, you, God, you would speak through me. Let your word do the work. Let your Holy Spirit do the convicting. Um, I, I, just, I surrender everything that's here uh, to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's do a little bit of recap uh, to get us back up to speed from where we were a couple weeks ago. And that was the feeding of the, it's the feeding of the 5,000, but there's some uh, debate on how many people there actually were. Uh, it could be somewhere around the 12,000 range, assuming that most men were able to find a wife. Maybe there's a few that couldn't. Uh, and they probably had kids. So you may some, say somewhere between 12 uh, to maybe even upwards of 20,000 uh, people that Jesus fed. And this is one of the signs um, that are in, in miracles that happened in the Gospels. As I was preparing for my message, I, I noticed something before it, and I don't know if I realized, uh, as far as looking chronologically at the events of Jesus' life, of what happened right before the feeding of the 5,000, and that was that um, John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded right before the feeding of the 5,000. Um, I want to read that for you. It's actually not necessarily uh, part of our main scriptures. But it goes back to Sam's portion of Scripture. In Matthew 14, verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard about it, so when he heard that John the Baptist had just been beheaded in prison, uh, those who were with John, and uh, they came to tell Jesus about it. John the Baptist was very important, um, one, to the ministry of Jesus, because he was the forerunner. He was the one telling people that the Messiah was coming. Um, he was a relative of Jesus. We actually, um, we read scripture, and I believe we even specifically read the scripture about Elizabeth and how her and Mary were, were relatives, possibly cousins, um, and they were six months apart between John and Jesus. 
I like John the Baptist, a couple of the things about him. Uh, he, he was an interesting guy. If you, you hear about the clothes that he wore, his diet of eating locusts with honey, like that's my kind of guy. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and I told Sam, because uh, I, th- I think of John the Baptist as kind of like that backwoods, like Phil Robertson, Duck Dynasty, uh, just a all business kind of guy. Uh, when I went into quarantine, it's just total coincidence that that was also gun season for deer. Um, and I was able to sit outside in the freezing cold um, in the pure quietness. That was awesome. Uh, I'm still not as cool as John the Baptist, though. And I don't, I don't have the clothing. Apparently, I need to ask Santa for that, I guess, as I was very cold. But that is, I think that is an important part to see what Jesus thought was important because he, I was talking to Cassie about this. We were thinking, you know, if Jesus was so close to John and he heard that he just died, was he sad? Was he sad that his, uh, uh, someone who he was close to that had just passed away? And Cassie, you know, she thinks maybe he was sad. We, we see that Jesus did uh, weep at times when somebody had passed away, but uh, I was like, why would, he, why would he be upset? Like, he knew that John was going to heaven, so that was, that was easy for him. But I don't know. Uh, we'll ask Jesus when we get to heaven how he really felt about it. But um, when Jesus heard about it, it says that he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place. So he, he did withdraw from the crowds, and he went alone um, at this point. And when he went alone on the boat, the people followed him on the shore. They followed him and maybe just kind of kept track of where he was going and and wanted to continue following Jesus. And uh, when he arrived to where he was going, um, is that when he had compassion on them, he healed them, he ended up feeding them. But the part I'm not convinced about is that Jesus was really too worried about that mass of people. I think that Jesus used that opportunity to, to go deeper and to teach his disciples, which then leads us into this morning's message, is that Jesus was more focused on the disciples. So uh, let's go to John chapter 6, 14 to 15. And it says, When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then I'm going to read a verse out of Matthew 14. It's verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. When I see the word immediately, it makes me think that maybe things were getting a little bit rowdy. Um, there was, I mean, this, we're talking 10, over 10,000 people, more than likely, uh, possibly 20,000 people who were getting excited. They, they just saw the miracle of Jesus, and they had been waiting for someone to come, their, their Savior that's going to be their ruler, be their king, and solve all their problems with their government. And Jesus saw this, and immediately he made the disciples get out of there, uh, which makes me think that really the whole feeding of the 5,000 had more, there was more importance about teaching the disciples and showing the disciples who Jesus was more than doing another miracle for these large crowds of people. Now, the, the disciples, 
they, they've already seen miracles. Like, this is not the first one. And they sat under the teaching, but they still did not 100% understand who Jesus really was. Because in their hearts, they were still looking for a ruler. They're still looking for a king on earth, and we're hoping for that to happen. I found this similar to where many of us maybe are drawn towards this line of thinking with even, with even our country. We place so much importance on one person. Now, thankfully, we, we live in a country where um, there is a, a somewhat of a balance of power. There's not one person who um, may be king and rule over everything. But I, I'm convinced that there, there are many of us, and maybe even myself sometimes, that I've got more faith in trying to elect one person than really thinking that Jesus is the one um, that controls our, our life and, and, more importantly, our afterlife, eternity, and where we're going to spend that. And again, it, it seems that Jesus was not so focused on witnessing to the masses, but rather discipling the few. I feel like there's a warning here for us. I feel like there's a warning really for those, for those of you who are probably like me, that I'm 32 now, but I spent many years of my life in church. Uh, I've known about Jesus more than half of my life. I think there's a warning here for us. That warning is that we can be around Jesus quite a bit, just like the disciples were, yet not truly know who Jesus really is. We're so comfortable being around church. We're so comfortable listening to Christian songs. We may be even comfortable um, reading devotionals and things like that that might make us feel good, but we don't truly know Jesus. And that, that's a warning for myself also that I could get so wrapped up in the mission of even our church or the mission that I feel is most important that I put the mission above my relationship with Jesus. So I think there's a warning here for us and that it's that we can be around Jesus so much that possibly our hearts get hardened and we forget who he really is. Now, I realize that uh, our attendance isn't in person as high as it used to be. And truthfully, it's, uh, that's okay. I do believe that throughout this year, and this is, this is not condemning someone that's watching online or anything, um, because I understand that, there seems to be, and it may just be my opinion, that there is a time, and it's been, I think it's been throughout this year, and it may be coming even more so in the near future, that there are those who were on the fence who knew about Jesus but didn't really know him, and it's easier, easier to fall away because of that. I pray that's not the case. But again, I feel like there's a warning here for us. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 46 to 48. So it says, After he had said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. 
So we see ourselves now that you know Jesus just fed the 5,000, saw that there was a, a, a rising within the crowd that they needed to crown Jesus king and their ruler. He saw it, sent the disciples away. He went away. He didn't go with the disciples. He actually dismissed the crowds and got them away first, and then he went to be by himself again, just like he was uh, when he heard that John the Baptist uh, had passed away. Now that Jesus was by himself and the disciples are now on a boat in a storm, I try to look at these stories almost like a movie. I try to look at it uh, from their perspective. We see the disciples are kind of their own characters. Jesus is his character. And I want to kind of look at that this way with this story. So these, these were fishermen, and they were skilled in this area. So when Jesus sent them out, it was probably already night or close to being nighttime because it said it was late in the evening uh, when they were sent away. Uh, the fishermen probably knew that this wasn't the safest thing to do. Uh, they didn't quite have all the technology that we have today um, because once you get out into the middle of a lake, no lights, it can be very dangerous because you're away from the shore and if you were to... Uh, tip over or something, nobody's really going to see that except those that are with you. So it says they were straining, but they were not afraid. Um, I watched a few, uh, I guess they were like tour guides for Israel, the Holy Lands, and uh, as I was watching the video, they actually went out on a boat just like these men were, and the guy was explaining, you know, how they traveled from, you know, as they looked out on this long uh, shoreline, you know, it was, this town was here, this town's here, this one's here. Um, but there's an opening within this lake that what happens is when the barometric pressure um, changes enough, it, what it does is it allows the wind to come across the lake from that opening in the land. And that's more than likely what caused this storm. Um, it was not a thunderstorm that I usually picture. And actually, if you go on Google and type in um, this event, you'll see that most of the times it's, it's like a, a thunderstorm or a hurricane or something, but it was just high winds that were causing this. And these fishermen knew the waters. They knew the, how the weather patterns were, but they, they listened to Jesus. So we got to give them a little bit of credit that they had faith uh, still in, in Jesus's miraculous power that he would take care of them, even though they were going out in the middle of the night um, and there was possibly bad weather coming that would cause them to strain. But it says they were not afraid. They were still straining. I, I don't know if I shared this story before or not. I've got a little bit of experience of being on very turbulent waters, uh, two, two events in particular. Um, but one is, uh, I, I think it was 19, maybe 20 years old. I decided to uh, buy a... 19 and a half foot bay liner, I think it was, held like eight people to go tubing. And uh, a couple of my friends and I decided to go up to Lake Erie and we were going to go to Putin Bay and spend a little bit of time there and then go back to my friend's dad's um, condominium. I, I think that's what it was. Um, we were not that smart though. Uh, we decided to go around dinner time and then while we were there, we had pizza, ice cream, went to the uh, um, lighthouse, and uh, soon it was dark. It was dark enough, and I didn't have lights on my boat, and 
I'm not sure exactly how, how well lights work on like airplanes and boats. I mean, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, I don't know what your light is shining onto. Uh, but I had nothing and it didn't matter. I had my navigation lights, you know, I got the uh, light in the front and the, or two in the front and one in the back. So we, we sat around and we're, we're debating, you know, do we stay here for the night? Um, I don't know if we would just sit there and stay awake or fall asleep on a bench, I don't know. Um, but the other choice was we had the bright idea to get behind the Jet Express. If you guys ever rode the Jet Express, it's very fast, it's on Lake Erie. Uh, so we're like, you know, that's probably not a bad idea. Once we get behind it, uh, we'll wait for it to take off, we'll get behind it and its wake will kind of push the waves away and we'll be smooth sailing all the way across there. Um, what I didn't anticipate was that once we got around the islands and it finally went full throttle, is that my boat could not keep up with <laughs> the Jet Express anymore. And I remember uh, at that point, a little bit of fear set in. I thought, you know, this is not good. I am in the middle of Lake Erie, it's pitch black. Um, not sure what to do here. I'm 19 years old, don't have much experience on a boat. Uh, so I remember as we got out of there, smooth sailing water, uh, we began to hit some pretty good sized waves. Uh, we all grabbed our life jackets and <laughs> I remember throttling down to go a little bit slower. It didn't really help much because apparently the Jet Express, when it goes that fast, it creates a wake that is very big. Uh, but I remember coming up to those waves, it looked just like a big shadow coming towards us, and I, I immediately shut the throttle all the way off, and I remember smashing into those waves, and at that point, totally thinking, this is not good. I could definitely be in this water uh, in the middle of the night. So when I read this story about the disciples being in the middle of this storm, their boat was probably not as built as well as mine. Um, I would have been terrified. I've been terrified that I, I don't normally go out in the middle of the night to fish, um, but here I am because Jesus told me to go out here. I'm terrified what's going on here. And if, if you remember correctly, there was another instance of Jesus sending these guys into a storm, yet he was on the boat the other time. This time he's not on the boat, but they're better than me because they didn't have as much fear as what I would have had. Then I started thinking about, how, what does this part of the story have to do with our lives anyway? And I think there's a little bit to th take away from this story, though. And then on the, the next slide, uh, it says, Jesus' focus is still on teaching the disciples. One is he sent them into the storm. Jesus, Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus knows what's, what's in the future. So he sent them into the storm, knowing what would happen, and then the other thing was that even though they couldn't see him, he was watching them from the land. Now, there's some debate on if Jesus could physically see them, if he was at a point high enough on a mountain nearby that maybe they went straight out. Now, if you remember, uh, maybe you don't know this, but this was also right around the Passover time. Um, and there's a good chance that there may have been a full moon. So I'm thinking it's a possibility that Jesus could have seen them. Um, if, it was, if the lighting was correct, there was no clouds, because like I said, there wasn't a, really a thunderstorm. It was the barometric pressure, causing the air to come in and wind and waves. So it was probably clear skies, full moon maybe. It's a possibility that Jesus literally saw them with his own eyes as they were struggling on the water. The other is that 
you know, he, he is God. He could still see them if he wanted to. Um, he, he's, he's everywhere. That's not, I don't think that's the most important part of the story. I just, I just want to say a couple of those uh, facts, though, about the timing and the weather and everything. But have you ever felt like you were in the middle of a storm? Uh, if you're at a point in your life where it felt like God wasn't watching, or if God really was watching, why is he not intervening? And I think that might be a little bit of a takeaway on this part of the story, is that we can be just like those disciples on a boat. We're straining away at whatever it is that we're going through. We're straining away at maybe it's long hours at work because staff is low right now. Um, I know that affects many people, uh, not just healthcare, although healthcare is pretty important right now. You know, maybe it's, it's family issues um, that we're just straining away to make sure things stay peaceful. And you wonder, where is God? He, God sent me into this storm, whatever it is. Where is he? Why is he not intervening? But I want, we're going to move a little bit further in the story and you answer that question. But I want you all to know that we will encounter storms. You know that. But Jesus is our anchor. He's the one that holds us in place. And uh, there's actually an old song that I used to love um, when I was in uh, Fruit Baptist Church. I think it was called The Anchor Holds. I could be wrong on that. But one of the lines on there, it says, The anchor holds even though the ship is battered. And when I, when I think of some of the things we go through in life is that, man, we can get beat up pretty bad. We can go through things that really um, take a toll on us emotionally, physically. But knowing that Christ is the one that anchors our lives, he always holds even though our ship might be battered. All right, let's go ahead and move on to Mark chapter 6. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 48 to 50. Uh, so it says, Around three in the morning he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. Do you guys remember any other part of Scripture where it talks about God passing by? Uh, does anybody remember that? Anyone shout out an answer about when that happened? God, what was it? Moses. Yeah, Moses. It seems that God wanted to pass by them. I don't think that means that actually God was going to go out and walk on the water and, and just say like, hey guys, you know, I'm just going to pass by and, and move on. I think he had a real point um, in doing this and walking in the water. Now, it says around 3 in the morning. If we look at the timeline again, they, they were sent out on the boat in late evening. Not sure exactly what time that was, but we know it was uh, before midnight. And these disciples have been on the boat for hours at this point. Uh, the fourth watch, and, and the way they broke down their night was four different sections of the night. And this was uh, during the last watch of the night. Now, 3 in the morning is probably the earliest that this happened. It could have happened as late as 6 in the morning. So these men have been out straining at the oars for hours and hours and hours, probably wondering, you know, where is Jesus? 
He was supposed to meet us out here. He told us to go. Where is he? And he came toward them walking on the sea. And I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves before we get into this point is, why did Jesus walk on the water? Like, what was the point of that? It, he, we Actually, we're going to see another miracle that's uh, it, it's very easy to look over. Jesus could have just showed up right there. I think it's possible that Jesus didn't have to walk miles on the water to get to them, but he did because he was trying to still prove a point. And remember, all these things that we're, we're looking at, these events, is that Jesus' importance and focus was on the disciples and, and, and moving them closer to realizing who he is. And it says uh, in verse 49, When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Again, these men were not really that terrified of the, the storm, the waves, the winds. But when they've been out there for hours, you know, trying to get somewhere with these oars, um, and then they see someone walking on the water, probably um, not as easily recognizable um, through the waves, that is pretty scary. I can imagine as I'm on Lake Erie seeing these waves and shadows come that I think I'm going to capsize and drown. If I would have seen somebody walking on the water, I would have passed out. I was already afraid of the storm itself. And then if I see that, my head's gone. But these guys were just to the point, they were terrified when they saw him. And then he immediately spoke with them and said, have courage. And I think that's what he wants to say to us today, too. I think it's very easy right now to be discouraged. It's very easy to right now to look at all the issues, all the division um, that is in our country, and think, man, we are in the middle of a storm, and we're looking for Jesus. But he says, have courage. And I want to let you know that he's saying that to all of us today, is have courage. He wants us to be courageous no matter what events are going on around us. And he says, it is I. That it is I, uh, the, if you look at the original language, it was the same type of phrasing as when Jesus said, I am. You know all the I am statements? When Jesus said this, it is I, he is saying, I am. And I think that's a very important part and then he also says, don't be afraid. And then let's go to Matthew 14. And we're going to read uh, 31 to 32. We're actually skipping over a big important part from Matthew. And that is when Peter... I, I love Peter. I love Peter because... He does things sometimes without thinking. Uh, and I think that makes it interesting, and I think it's actually a little bit more relatable for some of us. Um, I sometimes wish there were more Peters around us, more Peters uh, that were, would put, a, put aside their own wisdom sometimes and just go for things. So Peter, we're, so in verse 31, to kind of give you a, a little background on it, is that when he got closer... Peter did end up recognizing Jesus and, and tells Jesus, you know, if it's you, tell me, command me to come walk on the water. Um, and Jesus said, come on. It's almost like Jesus has a little bit more patience with Peter. 
Um, and I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy reading the interactions be, between Peter and Jesus. We all know the story of Peter. When he actually got on the water, he did begin to walk on the water. But the, as the story goes, he, he then took his focus off Jesus, uh, put his focus on the waves, and he began to sink. Um, but as we see in verse 31, it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? We always think of the bad part of Peter. I, I could have easily have used this story and, and basically made it into a, a sermon on having faith and that you shouldn't take your eyes off Jesus and, and don't look at the storm. That's, a, that's, that's probably a really popular way to look at this. But I want to give Peter a little bit more credit because he did make it out of the boat. He was the one to jump out of the boat. I don't know if he landed on his feet and began walking right away. Maybe he jumped out, stumbled, fell, got up, and then started walking. But either way, he began walking towards Jesus and got close enough to him that Jesus was able to reach out and grab his hand. I think that's something uh, we should give him a little bit of credit on. Uh, and then it says, uh, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and then those in the boat worshipped him and said this, Truly you are the Son of God. And I think that is what Jesus has been working towards for days, weeks, months. Jesus has been trying to get these men to get to the point that they would truly call him the Son of God. Not that they're going to call him their king, not that they would believe he could do miracles. He has been pursuing this goal that these men all together would come into agreement and finally make this statement and believe it with their hearts that truly you are the Son of God. It's taken a whole lot to get these men here. We always think that the disciples, like, how in the world could you not believe Jesus is who he said he is if he's done all these miracles, if he's turned water into wine, if he's healed people, if he's taken out demons, if he's fed 5,000 people, how do you not believe that Jesus is who he said he is? But it says that his, their hearts were actually hardened. And that's how a lot of us are too. There, there's a time in our life where, where God wants us to finally say, truly, you are the Son of God. If we look back at the, uh, the event with Moses, when Moses um, was able to see God in his glory and he passed by him, I want to contrast that to what just happened here, is that Moses, by our standards was a pretty righteous man. He lived well um, at this point of his life. Um, many of us would call him a hero of the faith, Hall of Fame type guy. He was at the, you know, towards the top of people who lived the way they should live and already believed in God and who he said he was. But with that inter in that interaction with, with God, he asked him to see his glory, and God allowed it. God allowed, it, allowed him to see as he passed by and then contrast that to what just happened with Jesus walking on the water, coming out to these men who he's been trying to convince them for so long that he is who he really is. They have hardened hearts, yet God still had mercy on them to pass by and show them who he really was. And I think that's encouraging for us, for one, is to know that God 
shows mercy to us even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't live the way we're supposed to all the time. When we make mistakes, or maybe our hearts have hardened to a point where we struggle with our faith, is that God still shows us his glory all around us. And then as we um, close here, um, I, I do have a, a challenge, um, or some homework, as Sam would call it. Um, but reading Psalms 139, 8 through 10, that's what you should read. But then ask yourself, and ask yourself this right now, is that is there a place in your life that feels like God is absent? And then I would even add on to that. And I feel like this is where God's working with me right now, is that do I feel like God is absent in the world? When we, when we, it's so easy. If, I mean, I hate at this point reading anything from any news source. And yes, I was in quarantine because of exposure to coronavirus. Yes, I have many family members um, that have it or have had it. But my thoughts and convictions on the way of approaching risk hasn't really changed at all because the way I feel about it is that God is in control. I truly believe that. As, as Sam said, we do feel like there's a responsibility of mitigating risk, but it's not ever going to be 100%. I think the word safety is something that we have convinced ourselves is possible when 100% safety is not possible because Sin has entered the world, and we are moving closer and closer and closer to the point that there is a final day on this earth. So as we move to, I think there's a closing song. Um, man, just take a, take a moment and reflect on God's promises. Reflect on all the evidence that we've seen in Scripture that He will be there for you and also all the evidence throughout your life, this world, God will take care of us. And there is not a place that God is absent. Actually, the Scriptures say that even if you make your bed basically in hell, God is still there. There is no place God is absent from but maybe this morning you just need to take a moment and remind yourself that. Let the Holy Spirit give you that peace and give you that reassurance. Let's stand together.